Good to be with you here. I, I am Gary Rashears, as you heard John saying. From I teach at a Western Seminary up in Portland. But my main claim to fame is not that doctrine and those kinds of things. It's that I'm a happy grandfather. And Sherry loves me after 51 years, so I mean, it's great. Good to be with you. A lot of connections here. Some people I didn't know were here. I've already greeted. There are probably some of you. And just very, very grateful to what Morris is doing. I'd like to begin just by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Can we do that? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Such a great prayer. Relevant to the whole situation here and what we're talking about this morning with forgiveness. There's a handout in your bulletin if you want to take a look at that. Because what I want to do is talk about this whole process of forgiveness. And let me tell you a forgiving story. I, I, I'm a professor at Western Seminary. And as such, I have the chance to bless hurting people. And I like that. And there was a guy who had come to Western, and his goal was to be a worship pastor, and he was good. And we got to be friends in the process. And about two-thirds of the way through his seminary career, his wife, who was a victim of just extreme abuse in her childhood, said, I give up and left the marriage. And I talked to her later, not at the time, and she said, I had nothing against my husband. Nothing. He was as good a husband as a husband can be, but I just can't stand to be married because of the stuff that happened to me as a child. And she's in therapy and all this stuff. Just one of those really tragic stories, but I'll just use the name uh, Bill. Bill was, he's done. Because divorce is, for many pastors in the context he was anyway, divorce is the end. And uh, he knew it. But he just, somehow, he had so loved his wife, and he just inherited a huge sense of failure at this spot, and just disappeared. Well, I was at 25th wedding anniversary for another student who was a close friend of Bill's. And I heard from my other friend, Keith, that Bill was going to come to that service. He was at the seminary campus, and I knew Bill had not been on the seminary campus since the divorce. I was looking for him. Because I want to use my role as a professor to bless him when he steps into the basement of the chapel there at Western Seminary. So Sherry and I go up there, and, you know, it's my crowd. Keith and Renee are awesome. 25th anniversary is yes, and all this sort of stuff. And uh, But I'm watching for Bill. And uh, we're doing the thing, and Sherry's with me. and, And I saw Bill come down the stairs, and I made a beeline to him. It was one of those amazing times because he respected me. I knew him. I knew the story. I didn't say anything. I just walked over to him and says, Bill, and I just blessed him. It was awesome. Summer evening there at Western Seminary, we walked home to our house, which uh, isn't far from the seminary. I was just walking on cloud nine. Got home back in the kitchen, and I just had that sense something is not okay. My pretty wife came up to me with a look on her face that just, oh my gosh. 
and I realized I had sinned against my pretty wife. And I know I just it just oh my gosh something's wrong. She, you got to understand, Sherry is avoidant off the charts. I mean, if you know your enneagram, she's a nine with a wing nine. But just totally, and I'm dominant. I'm an eight with a wing eight. So we're perfect for each other. <laughs> and my goal is to create an environment where Sherry can say how she feels really hard for her. She came up and put her head on my shoulder and said, tonight when you left me alone, I felt completely abandoned. She was right. I had been so into to Bill and his situation that I had just forgotten that it's my crowd, it's not Sherry's crowd. And she was chasing me around all night as I was going from person to person. But when I saw Bill, of course, bang, I was gone. And I hurt my pretty wife. Now, what I want to do in the sermon here is think through a forgiveness process that we actually used. I'll use that story because it really happened. And in God's grace, we did it pretty well. And God's grace, she didn't divorce me. We're talking about the impossible work of forgiving. And in this impossible work, and it is, it is impossible to do the work of forgiving. If it weren't for Jesus Christ, if it weren't for the love of God, we just couldn't do it. So here's the verse, Luke 17, one verse. He put, all of Mark 18 is put in two verses of Luke 17. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. You got it memorized yet? I mean, there it is. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And it goes on to seven times a day type stuff. So let's look at this together. The first thing that happens in a sin context, it doesn't have to be some grievous sin, but in a case of hurting, the first thing is do. Watch what? Yourself. Yourself. When somebody sins against me, I don't know about you, but I immediately think he is the worst human being that ever walked on the face of the earth. Are you any of you like me? And I want to say, what a jerk you are. But see what Jesus says, no, look at yourself. Why? Because the currency of offense is pain. The currency of offense is pain. So in this story that I've told you, and it's a true story, I'm not making this up at all. I gave pain to my pretty wife. Now, there is a big difference, of course, between uh, wounding and wronging. Wounding is not intentional. I certainly don't intend to hurt my pretty wife. Wronging is when I do it intentionally. They're different. But in either case, it begins with the pain given to me. So that's the offended person that has to do that. And what I'm doing here is I need to acknowledge my hurt and my anger. I have to acknowledge my hurt and my anger. Now, I found in pastoral work that if I'm talking to somebody, and especially a man, and I say, you really sound like you're angry right now. 
almost without exception, what would the guy say? I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. What's the difference? So you say, yep, that's me. (laughs) Anger is about me. Frustration is about you. And what Jesus is saying here, and I think it's important, is to look at the hurt, and hurt produces anger. And what happens at this point so often is people just say, it's okay, I'm fine, I'm good. I've already given it to Jesus, it's done, I don't have to do anything. But see, what happens is the difference between denial or suppressing and forgiving or processing is the difference between a rock of coal and a rock of diamond. And forgiveness produces the clear diamond of beautiful relationship. Denial just leaves coal and pockets of pain that mess everything up. So what I want to do here is I look for this root of bitterness that can come up. I don't want that to happen. And see what happens when I do denial. I'm fine. I just gave it to God. It's all over. I don't need to do anything. That denial is not forgiveness, though we use it. I'm forgiving. It's all over. No, because that pocket of pain is still there, unprocessed. And unprocessed, it'll turn into bitterness, cynicism, sarcasm, brittleness, distrust, and broken relationship. And Satan will use that, Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go on your wrath. Because why? Satan will take the opportunity to break relationship and break unity. I've got to look at myself. I've got to acknowledge the hurt and the anger. Okay, step one. Step two, rebuke. Who does that? Who does the rebuking? Come on, you get to answer. Who does the rebuking? Offender or offended? Offended, exactly. It's interesting how the work of forgiveness begins with the person who has been hurt. Now, it doesn't have to. The offender can recognize that he's done the offense and can get right into it. But a lot of times what happens is the offender doesn't know. Like with Sherry, I had no idea. I should have. I know her abandonment issues because of her childhood abuse and such. But I was so into blessing Bill that I completely forgot about Sherry and what she was doing. I had no intention of hurting her. But she had to come and rebuke me. Now, rebuke's a hard word. It just means talk about it, bring it up, instead of denying it. So what I do is I do it out of love. And this is what my pretty wife did to me. Out of love, you seek the other person's best, even at cost of my own comfort. That's what Sherry's doing. Her every instinct in her is, I'm going to say, especially, because I came home from that time, I was walking on cloud nine. I was so glad for the impact of my blessing that it had on on Bill. And for Sherry to come in and tell me the hurt that I'd given her was to drag me off of cloud nine and put me in the dump. And it did. It did. It did. It was the right thing to do. But it was an easy thing to do. And she did it because she loves me and values our relationship. And she knows, and I worked hard to create a space where she knows that I will welcome that Though it was really hard in the moment. So I, to start that off, what she did is she asked permission to give feedback. 
Can I tell you something that happened tonight? That's when I, uh uh-oh, because that was out of the ordinary. And, you know, I love my pretty wife, and I said, of course. So asking permission is there. So then we affirm the person. Now, she didn't actually do this, but it's so much a part of our relationship, she didn't have to. I still love you as husband, so respect you. Uh, you're the most amazing man that ever walked on the planet of the earth. No, let's not get carried away. <laughs> but identifying the offense. And the way you do this, I just call it the Gottman formula, because John Gottman is the guy that I read it from, the marriage guy at the University of Washington. In situation X, when you did Y, I felt Z. That's the Gottman formula. And that's exactly what Sherry did. I don't know if it was instinct or studied, because I know she studied it. Tonight, at the 25th anniversary, when you walked away from me and left me there, I felt abandoned. So what she didn't do is look at me and say, you're a jerk, you always leave me away. You don't give a rip about me and not, all that kind of stuff. Now, that you know, that's not for, that's, doesn't lead toward forgiveness, that leads toward brokenness. And that's where this Gottman formula is so helpful. Tonight, when you went to bless Bill, I felt completely abandoned when you walked away from me. And a key thing here, the next step, confess and repent. Who does this? Offender or offended? The confession and repentance is done by the offender. The rebuke, the talk about it, the bring it up is done by the offended. Now, my goal is to confess. And again, how to do that. What I'm doing here and what I actually did was I acknowledge the offense and I acknowledge the hurt. Now, it took me a little bit to do that because I was so clueless. But it came through pretty quickly because we know each other really well. And I, oh my gosh. Oh. Yep. I acknowledge, yeah, the offense. I had just taken off and left Sherry. And more than just the offense, the hurt. Now, this doesn't have to be a sin. I did not sin against Sherry. It was not, I mean, in one sense I did. I shook my responsibility to the husband. But it's no great sin. I didn't go out and kiss some other woman or something like that. But it was, it was a failure in my responsibility as a husband. And I want to love my, life, my, life, my, I want to love my wife well. So then what I do is I take responsibility for what happened. Because the heart of confession, the heart of confession is I did, it was wrong. I did, it hurt you. I did, it disrespected you. I did, it scared you, whatever it is. The heart of it is, I did it, and the trick here is to do it without explaining. See, it had been so easy for me to say, well, Sherry, I mean, you're a big woman, you've got some friends there, and Bill needed me. No, don't explain. There may be an explanation, it may be relevant, but not then. Yep, I left you alone, pretty wife. The other thing not to do is not to apologize. 
See, when I apologize, when I say, oh, I'm so sorry. What does culture mean that you have to say at that point? I forgive you. See, I take the, I take the focus off me and what I did, and I put the burden on you to let me off the hook. And that kills the process. There's a place for apology, but it's not here. There's a place for explanation, perhaps. It's not here. There's a pace for all kinds of things, but the point here in the confession is, I did, I hurt you. I did, I failed you. I did, whatever it is. So what I have done is I've given Sherry units of pain. She has it. Okay. And the question is what we're going to do about it. Because vengeance is, she's, if I give her 10 units of pain, what can she do under justice? Give me 10 units back. Nope. I express remorse for hurting her. Because I did, and it wasn't, it wasn't hard to do. But there's remorse, there's, a, there's an emotion getting into it. Because what we tend to do is protect ourselves from emotion. So, yeah, you hurt, I see you're hurt, but in the remorse, I, I hurt that I hurt you, kind of thing, that comes up. And this is when the process is going well. And then I promise, promise restitution and change. Now, in this case, there's really nothing I can do to make restitution for abandoning. Sure, I can't go back and redo it. I could run out and, you know, get some nice flowers or something, but frankly, that wouldn't help. What did she need at that spot? What did Sherry need at that spot? Frankly, she needed for me to hold her and value her for having the courage to bring up the pain. And then the promise is, Sherry, I know I've done it before and I'll probably do it again, but by God's help, I'm going to... Remember, I'm here with you. I'm going to remember that you're my pretty wife. And no matter what else is going on, my first responsibility is to be your husband. Not just the professor who can bless Bill. And, of course, after touch. In this case, a warm, deep, long, tearful hug holding my pretty wife. That's the confession. Now, note we're not at forgiveness yet. This is only confession. That's why we're not at the spot to do forgiveness yet. Next step, receive the confession. And I, I think I've found that this is an important step that comes before forgiveness, is just to receive the confession. What I'm saying here, this is done by the offended person, is I acknowledge what? What do I acknowledge? Fill in the blanks. Offense and hurt. I Receiving the confession is, I acknowledge the offense and hurt, which is looking towards Sherry. I acknowledge the offense and hurt. I, I express gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing it up. Because I'm clueless. Thank you for valuing our relationship so much that you're willing to take the incredibly courageous step 
to bring this up. Express gratitude and then accept the confession. And at this point, it's simply saying, I accept your confession. This would be what Sherry would say. I accept your confession that you are wrong to walk away from me and leave me alone in that group of people. And that you hurt me by doing that. It's just we're hearing each other. Make sure that we've heard what's going on. And then offer touch. Now, this is not a domestic violence situation or something like this. This is kind of ordinary relationships, family, friends, marriage, church, those kinds of things. Now, now, forgive. Who does the forgiving? Fender or offended? Offended. Matthew 18, which is the parallel to Luke 17, Jesus gives a parable to explain how this works out. In the parable, the kingdom of the heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owned him 10,000 talents. Now, how much is that? It's like $100 million. It's just a huge, huge amount of money. It's so much it's going to jeopardize the entire kingdom because this guy lost it. This guy lost it. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all he had and payment to be made. What do we call that? That's justice. He has failed. There's penalty for failing. Justice is, you know, this is a little different than we do today. But that's justice. See, and forgiveness never, ever, ever violates or surpasses judgment. It goes beyond it, but it does not deny it. Justice is very, very real. If you give me 10 units of pain, I have every right to give you 10 units back. Not 11, but 10. So, what happened? Servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. What's he doing there? What's he doing there? But before he asks for forgiveness, what is he doing? He's confessing. I lost your money. He, there's, there's a confession in this statement. Yep, I was wrong. I can't pay. Then it's begging, please, please have some patience. Now, what's the chance this guy can get $100 million back? Zero. But he's got the right attitude. What does the king say? Out of Pity. Out of pity. The master of the servant canceled debt and forgave him. Okay, now let's put this in the outline. Take pity. Now, pity is not a positive word in English. The positive word that's actually the most common emotion word for our Savior is the word compassion. Have compassion. Have feeling for his situation in the forgiveness. So when Sherry is forgiving me, she is having compassion on the fact that I'm hurting by the fact that I've hurt her because we're sharing the the pain back and forth. And we cancel the debt. Now, if I got 10 units of pain, under justice I do what? 10 units back. Under forgiveness, what do I do? Where's the pain? It's in me. 
See, that makes no sense whatsoever. No sense whatsoever. What am I going to do with that pain? Let's really follow the example of Jesus. We share in his suffering. Somebody after first service pointed out Philippians 3.10. We share in his sufferings like Jesus. I process the pain instead of, we'll talk a little bit how to do that, and I forgive him. Now, forgive. Here's Matthew chapter 4. Jesus comes up to these guys on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, follow me, and I'll make you fish them in. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Where's the... Where's afiemi? Where's the word that's translated forgive in this passage? Can you figure it out? What's the forgive? What translates afiemi? And the answer is it's left. See, that's what afiemi, that's what forgiveness means. It means leave behind my personal right to give you back ten units of pain. It doesn't say that you won't be brought it before a court of law, that's a different thing. I can't forgive you before the court. I can forgive you before me. If somebody's hurt a kid, I can't forgive them for hurting the kid because it's, I, it's, I don't have their authority to do that. I, it's my personal right to leave behind the pain. So this is servant cancel debt and let him go is the NIV translation where the ESV translation is forgave him. So cancel the debt and let him go. Forgiveness. What's the hardest part there? The pain. Because when when Sherry let me go, it would seem like she's condoning what I did. And see, in the process of forgiveness, she's not condoning a thing in what I did. Now, she's the most forgiving woman in the world. But the pain's still there. And see, this is a process of how do I deal with that pain. But I realize, and sometimes i got to forgive before I feel like forgiving. What I feel like is busting your chops. What I feel like, in Sherry's case, is I'll just never talk to you again. But see, it kills a relationship. Rebuild a relationship after the offense. That's done by both parties. And here's the thing. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. I can forgive somebody without ever trusting them again. I can forgive somebody, give my, my personal right to give you back 10 units of pain, but not trust you. How come? Because I'm afraid you can do it again. See, and it's really, really important to remember that forgiving and trusting are two different processes. Can you forgive somebody when they don't repent? The answer is yes, you can. Sherry's dad abused her badly. When Sherry got past the dissociative barriers and looked at that, her dad had been dead for 15 years. Can she forgive her dad? Can she give up the right to hurt him back? How can she hurt her dad after he's dead 15 years? By reprocessing the story and telling everybody what a jerk he was and that sort of thing. There's lots of ways to hurt a person not around. What Sherry did was write a letter 
to her mother and her sister and her brother that just expressed what happened, and she did the confession piece. And that family is a far better family today because of Sherry's courage to open up the abuse that had happened. Didn't solve all the problems, but that's what said it. So you're building relationship. So the first thing you do is rebuild trust. And the way you rebuild trust, I mean, this is on your resource list there. I've got a thing, Brene Brown, a little 20-minute video of hers on called braving. It's just an excellent way to rebuild trust. The second thing I do here is I overcome evil with good. So very important to overcome evil with good. Because that's the way you do it. In my case, what it meant was the next time I was going to places where Sherry was joining me and my crowd was to be extra careful to say to her, I'm with you, pretty wife. To hold her hand, put my arm around her. Just do those things that husband's wife do to you. I've been watching you two down here doing great. (laughs) This is super. You know, just that way of saying, I'm with you, you know. And just making sure if I head off to somebody, make sure that I've touched Sherry and drawn her with me or given her the opportunity of not coming if she doesn't want to. Overcome evil with good. I am he remember blots out your transgression for my own sake. I will not remember your sins, God says. And see, don't remember is an important thing, but we've got to understand what remembrance means. And what remembrance means, Deuteronomy 5, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. What is Moses calling the people to do? To take what could be forgotten, bring into active memory so it changes my behavior. So when I remember the promises of God, that's taking something up, bringing it into active memory so it changes my behavior. When I remember that Sherry's my pretty wife and does not like to be left behind in a crowd, I bring that up into active memory so it changes my behavior. And, whoops, no, got a little carried away. The, uh, when I don't remember, that's different than don't forget. Because, see, I can't forget what happened. And this happened, I mean, this happened, what? Gosh, when did this happen? 25 years ago? And I still remember it. Why? Because I don't want to do it again. Don't remember means don't act on the offense that happens, which breaks the relationship. And that's where it comes out. Pay attention to yourself for your brother's sins, and if he repents, forgive him. Okay. What does it say? Forgive him. How many times? Seven times a day. Like, get over it, guy. I'm not going to do that much to you. Well, that's what Jesus calls us to do. Keep throwing away the list of offense. Keep throwing it away. What does it say here? If he repents. If he turns to me. What does it take to forgive? What it takes to forgive is faith. That's what Jesus says in response to the guys. Increase our faith. And he says you had like a mustard seed, you would do it. That faith is incredible. It takes the fruit of the Spirit. It takes faith that God has worked the process. And it takes patience because it takes a while. 
It takes a good while sometimes. I'm told that in marriage betrayal, it takes between two and five years to bring trust back into the relationship, and that's assuming both people work in the process. And there are times you say, if this, forget it, it's not worth it. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It means I've got to go to the person who has something against me. It means I need to initiate, and that's the command always, is to be working for the process of forgiveness. The burden is on me, no matter which side I'm on, is to go. And then lastly, of course, and this is really, really important, knowing how much Jesus has forgiven me. See, I can't forgive somebody else, really, unless I realize how much I have been forgiven. And Jesus ultimately, of course, he is a propitiation for our sins, not our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. How much has Jesus done there on the cross? That's the goal. Be like Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you have done so much, so much, to begin that work of offense, to work that work of forgiveness in us. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, Father, for loving us that much. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sin, shame, fear, for rising new life so that we can have that life, that unity that comes. Holy Spirit poured out on us freely. Show us those places. Convict us of places where we've failed those around us. Give us the courage to initiate the process. Give us the courage to stay in the process. Give us the courage to be authentic in the pain that's there. And look for your redemption because you, Lord Jesus, come into that place to bring your goodness. And we pray that will be true in Jesus' name. Amen.